When wishes were horses and beggars could ride, in a stone castle by the sea there lived a rich land. How am I supposed to choose? There are so many. And so he left the trail, and he followed the sound of the music. I am the goat from the hills and the mountains. And when I have finished eating these herbs and these vegetables, then I shall eat you, too. Once upon a time, and welcome to the Story Story Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Ann Harding, and I have some stories for you. This is a podcast to hear traditional stories told by some of the best storytellers in the world. It will take you to long ago and far away, and will bring you back safely. The stories for this episode are spooky, and may have moments that are not suitable for younger listeners. If you're responsible for tender ears, you might want to listen first. Or forge ahead and enjoy the chills. Maybe it was a dream. I blinked, rubbed my eyes, pinched myself. All of the things the books tell you to do when you're not sure if what you're seeing is real. But there was a yacht sailing in midair. Anchor dropped on my street. I could hear scrabbling around on the deck of this strange floating boat, and I considered yelling to my neighbors to get out here and see this. I figured if I was going crazy, then I kind of wanted someone else to go crazy with me. I took a deep breath, but it came out as a ah! When from over the side of the ship, a little boat began to be lowered. The rowboat contained what looked like a captain and a first mate. Captain had a fierce look on her face, the autumn wind pulling at her hair, as if she were in the middle of a great adventure. As soon as the bottom of the little boat began to float, about three feet above the ground, the first mate was tugging on the oars, and the boat swiftly came up beside me where I was standing, frozen, on the sidewalk. The captain leaned out and looked at me. Do you know where 1344 Windermere Street is located? I decided to take this for what it was, a floating airboat captain asking for directions. Yes, ma'am, it's just down the street. Excellent, get in. You can lead us there. We'll bring you back once our quest has been completed. Aye, aye, captain. The first teller for this episode is Brenda Wong Aoki. She is a playwright, actor, and storyteller. Her work combines Eastern and Western narratives and theatrical traditions such as no Comida del Arte, modern dance, Japanese drumming, and American jazz. I am thrilled to share her stories on the podcast, but I must say, there is something missing if you only hear her. She's trained in many forms of movement, and so much of her telling is shown through her live shows. Should you ever get an opportunity to see her or any other storyteller, I would highly recommend it. In this first story, death comes calling. But don't be too worried. This is Brenda Wangayoki telling Monkey Defeats Death. Monkey had been a wise and well-beloved king for over 300 years when he began to worry about the future. The other monkeys laughed at him. How can we lead a better life than this? We live in a beautiful cave, and we have all the drink and peanuts we want. 
but we still have death to fear, replied the monkey king. Someday Lord Yama, king of the underworld, will send his messengers for us. Sure enough, one day, two grim-faced men sneaked up behind Monkey, threw a rope around his neck, and proceeded to drag his soul to the underworld. Monkey decided he wasn't going anywhere. He twisted out of their grasp. Then he grabbed his magic stick. The two messengers went down. Furious, Monkey charged down to the underworld. Hiya! The gods hid, the secretaries cringed, and Monkey charged into the chambers of Lord Yama, king of the underworld himself. Bring out the Book of the Dead, Monkey demanded. And Lord Yama struggled under the weight of the huge volume. Show me the monkey files! And there on page 73, Monkey saw his own name. Monkey King, age 342, Cause of death, too much peanuts. What? Monkey ripped out the page and ate it. Uh, He cartwheeled his way out of hell, went back to the monkey cave, and called for a 30-dish banquet. Meanwhile, up in heaven, the Jade Emperor was listening to complaints from the king of hell. Monkey ruined my sacred death files. He tore out page 73 and ate it. The Jade Emperor called together a meeting of all the gods and goddesses. We've got a problem. Monkey refuses to die. He's torn his name from the Book of the Dead and terrorized the King of Hell. He has violated the law of order in the universe. The gold star goddess said, I've got an idea. Let's bring Monkey up here where we can keep an eye on him. We'll have him clean out the stables of the heavenly horses, but we'll give him a fancy title. (laughs) So Monkey became captain of the heavenly horses. He took his job quite seriously. One day, as Monkey was buffing one of the horses, he thought aloud, I wonder when's payday. Payday, said the horse. There's no payday. You're just here to brush me down and shovel my heavenly horse manure. (laughs) I'm no stable boy, bellowed Monkey and he threw the heavenly horse manure all over, kicked open the door, and sent the horses running wild. Then he stormed out of heaven and went back to the monkey cave. Meanwhile, up in heaven, the Jade Emperor convened an emergency meeting. Monkey wrecked havoc in hell, and now he's thrown holy horse manure all over heaven. He's on the loose. We've got to stop him. Okay, so I blew it, said the gold star goddess. So he doesn't like horses. If he needs to feel important, let's give him a real job. 
guardian of the immortal peaches? For a moment, they all held their breath. Then Lao Tzu, the great sage, spoke. The peaches of immortality take 6,000 years to ripen. If something should happen to them, we'll lose our immortality. We'll die. No matter what the risk, we must keep hold of the monkey's tail or he'll create chaos. Monkey became guardian of the immortal peaches. To protect the precious fruit, he invented his own special insect repellent. This is what he did. He swung from branch to branch, singing so horribly that all the birds and insects fled. Gah, gah, gah! And every day he watched the peaches grow ripe and luscious. And oh, how his mouth watered when he saw those fat, juicy peaches. But he knew that tasting a peach was strictly forbidden. One day, resting among the leaves, he noticed a particularly fat, juicy peach. It won't kill him if I take one tiny little bite, he thought. Mmm. I'll just have one more. Mmm. And another. And another. And another. Uh-oh. Oh, well. Monkey ate so many peaches, he fell asleep. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the magnificent palace of the Queen Mother of the West, the Queen Mother herself decided it was an auspicious moment to hold the Peach Banquet of the Immortals, which she held once every 6,000 years. So she sent her waiting maids to pick the fruit. Oh my, where are the peaches? They cried when they looked at the trees. Seeing only one peach and it being on a high branch, they shook the tree. Shh, shh, shh. Down tumbled Monkey. Begging your pardon, Mr. Monkey, said the maids, but the Queen Mother of the West sent us to pick fruit for her peach banquet which he holds every 6,000 years, so the immortals can renew their immortality. A banquet? I love banquets. How many dishes? A uh, Mr. Monkey? Only immortals are invited to the peach banquet. No animals allowed. So the Monkey King is not good enough for your heavenly crowd. Monkey, monkey, magic do. Here is a fixing spell for you. Monkey put a fixing spell on the maids. Then he sneaked into the magnificent palace of the Queen Mother of the West. He came upon huge porcelain pots filled to the brim with bird's nest soup. He drank it all. And there, on a banquet table covered with scarlet brocade, was an exquisite presentation of dainty dim sum. Cha Shu Bao, Ha Gao, Shu Mai, he ate it. There was also roast duck, 
chow mein and thousand-year-old eggs. He ate all of it. He grabbed his belly and rolled on the floor in pain. Monkey had an awesome tummy ache. Then he staggered out of heaven and crawled back to the monkey cave with a complete overdose to his lower chakra. Meanwhile, up in heaven, the gods were in uproar. Monkey ate the immortal peaches. The immortals will die. Off the monkey, just off the monkey. So the Jade Emperor sent down his heavenly guard to capture the Monkey King. They bound Monkey hand and foot, carried him kicking and screaming back to heaven, and placed him in a huge walk. Monkey stew, monkey stew, monkey stew, shouted the gods. The Queen Mother of the West put on the lid. The gold star goddess turned up the heat and kept it burning for 49 days and 49 nights. At the end of the 49th night, all the gods and goddesses assembled with their heavenly chopsticks. Mouths watered as the Jade Emperor himself lifted off the lid. Out sprang Monkey. Hiya! He kicked over the banquet table, sent the heavenly china flying like frisbees. The gods trampled each other, crying like babies as they fled from the banquet hall. The great heat of the walk had only toughened Monkey's body, and the fire turned his eyes red. You see, Monkey had eaten so many peaches. He himself had become immortal. Today's fairy tale sponsor is Poison Apple Apothecary. When you have devious work to do, don't ruin your manicure. Don't worry about filling the house with the smell of sulfur or get your outfit ruined running through swamps. Choose the subtle arts of Poison Apple Apothecary. Applesauce, apple cider vinegar, apple wine, and fresh apple products for whatever you need. Using locally sourced apples from Mother Hubbard's Cupboard Farm. With true professionals poisoning your plonk, sousing your sauce, and vamping up your vinegar. Don't fear. Death is near. There's a new review for the podcast. It simply says, awesome, five stars. I like how the stories are told, and they keep my attention. Thank you, Story Nerd, who wrote this review. If you'd like to leave us a review, you might hear it on an episode soon. I climbed in the rowboat and we sailed through the air, swiftly hoisted back up on the ship. The yacht, though well cared for, was covered in the strangest odds and ends. A pile of baby clothes under a set of weights. An old, lovely dresser that looked like it needed repainting. There were stacks of old books, boxes full of hangers, 
Milk crates with old albums, most of them looked worthless, but a few promising. And what about treasure? Scattered here and there were treasure chests, full of quarters and stacks of what looked like dollar bills. The captain pulled me through the mess, to the edge, and had me point the way through the streets, as a few sailors heaved on ropes and the first mate took the helm. Anchor was brought up, and with some expert handling we caught an updraft warm air, clipped the top of a huge tree sending sprays of golden leaves across the yard. Within a few short minutes, there was 1344 Windermere Street. In front of the house, there were tables set out, piled with an assortment of items. Cars parking on the street, and folks got out to go look through the tables of things as the realization of who I was with hit me like a lightning bolt. I turned to the captain, my mouth hanging open. Oh, heavens! You're yard sailors! The captain laughed heartily. That we are. We sail the seven streets for the best deals on the best knickknacks you might be looking for. Into the rowboat. With sacks of quarters, we got in the little boat and lowered to the lawn. Those who were gathered were gawking at the floating yacht, which gave the crew plenty of time to plunder the best deals from that little rummage sail. I saw one sailor walk away with a beautiful violin for ten dollars. The captain bought two Tiffany lamps for five. Before anyone could really ask questions, we had loaded the loot back on the rowboat, were heaved up with the anchor, and on we sailed. By the time the afternoon had ended, I had a sunburn, a slightly used but in good condition rug for my dining room, and a number of children's books to give to my niece the next time I saw her. The yard sailors even helped me carry it into my apartment and complimented me on the bargains I had found. They stayed for lemonade, as tea seemed too formal, and I didn't have enough beer to fully entertain a boat full of sailors. Who does? They sailed off in the warm updraft wind of a sunset, as the captain could be heard yelling orders and scanning the paper for the estate sale they could plunder the next day. The second teller is Kim Whitecamp, a sought-after storyteller, humorist, and musician who shares her original stories and songs at theaters and festivals throughout the United States. This story is from her CD, Dead Bird Singing, and is the haunting tale, Falling Apart Man. Once upon a time, there was a man who was falling apart. In a much sadder story, one I won't tell you today, this man had to bear the weight of a series of bad decisions, which led to a succession of unfortunate events. He found himself with no land, no home, and worst of all, alone. His heart was the first thing to crumble. Then his spirit began to wither. His face became drawn, his arms became limp, his leg began to drag, his hair thinned, and his walk turned crooked. Filth and stink replaced the pungent smell of lye, and stained woven sandals covered callous, tired feet. Like postmarkers and wagon tracks, he became a fixture on the streets, unremarkable and invisible. Never speaking, there was no one to speak to. One day, while he was sitting outside of the market, a mother with her young daughter walked by. The little girl stared at him wide-eyed and then said to her mother, Look, mother, that man is falling apart. The mother shushed her child, but it was too late. The man had heard it. Two other people had heard it. The crows 
had heard it. I'm falling apart, the man said out loud, eyes wide with realization. He looked at the two people standing on the sidewalk. I am falling apart, he said. Word spread throughout the town and the man became known as the falling apart man. Everywhere he walked, everywhere he slept, he heard it. He heard it in passing whispers. He heard it in the alleys. He heard it in his dreams. And he heard it from the crows. <laughs> the crows. Why they suddenly showed up, the man didn't know, but he liked it. They would hop along beside him as he dragged himself from place to place, and they would fly from tree to overhead tree as he lay on the grass. They would call and cackle and chatter as he mumbled to himself, and sometimes he swore he heard them whispering, falling apart. I am the falling apart man, he would say in his mind. It was an unsettling day that day, the day that it happened. The sky was unable to rest. Something was brewing in the universe. Gray, rolling clouds punctured with blinding beams of sun. Cool, rolling mists tinged with kisses of warm wind. It was an odd, odd day. The people left the fields early. They walked faster, lit the candles quicker, and all of the birds fell silent. Crops were bending under gusts of wind coming from the unusual corner of the south, and riding that wind was a black cloud with beating wings, black olive eyes, and a chorus of sharp cries. Moving and shape-shifting, the cloud grew larger and larger until it descended upon the town. The crows settled upon stumps, steeples, and stanchions. They perched on posts, porches, and pilasters. And they watched. They are always watching. They watched the people scurry, the shutters close, and the doors latched. And they watched the falling apart man. He walked through town oblivious to the fact that the streets were empty of people and that he was alone. <laughs> Almost alone. The crows began to cry and call. They took flight, rising and falling in murderous waves. They began to swirl in a tight circle around the falling apart man. The rushing sound of wings roared in his ears like a great ocean. He was pushed, almost lifted towards the edge of town. Great gusts of winds pulled at him. Dirt filled his eyes. Talons snagged his threadbare clothing as the stench of rotted eggs, slick oil, and dirt filled his nostrils. Across the roads, towards the fields, clawing, cawing, and pushing until they reached the middle of the middle field. The birds spread out as far as the eye could see. Small black dots, each resting on clods of upturned earth. Silent and still, they waited. And in the center of them was the man, Rips and tears in his clothing, specks of blood and dirt, stains upon stains. He was bent and breathing heavy. He lifted his head, looking in all directions, hundreds of eyes resting upon him. He pulled himself up to his full height, threw his arms out as wide as they would go, breathed a deep breath, threw back his head and cried, I am the falling apart man! 
in their houses. Behind shutters and doors, the people of town heard words on the wind that they could not quite make out. They shook from fear as they listened to the deep thrumming of wings as the crows passed above their houses. The moon grew dark as the great cloud of birds flew away from their town and filled the night sky. An old farmer, the first in the field that morning, saw him. High above the damp earth, resting, outstretched on wooden poles that went deep, deep into the ground. Dry straw jutted out from the overstuffed, outstretched arms and plump, stiff legs, which were covered in a worn shirt and pants that were covered with rips and stains upon stains. A three-corded rope held him there tied with unusual ornate knots that had no beginning and no end. Its face was nothing more than an old stuffed cotton bag with beak-torn eyes and a sad, thread-pulled mouth. And sitting on its shoulders, one to the left and one to the right, were large black crows. Some tried to touch it, but it was always just out of reach. Some tried to cut it down, but the wood was too solid. Some tried to pull it out of the ground, but it was rooted too deep. The falling apart man is there to this day. He is friends with the crows and they whisper secrets to him about the town and all of its people. If he is pleased with what he hears, the village has a good year, full crops. If he is not pleased, well, that's another story. Thank you for listening to the Story Story Podcast. Show the love. Find Brenda Wong, Aoki, and Kim Whitecamp on the internet. Tell them you heard them on the podcast and now want to hear them tell more stories. You can connect with the podcast on Facebook or Instagram at Story Story Podcast for Rachel Ann Harding. The beautiful brains behind the fairy tale sponsor was Simon Brooks. The inspiration for the true fairy tale was a story seed from Laura Packer. You can find her lovely story and writing prompts by looking her up on social media. You can see the fairy tale sponsors ads on the Story Story Podcast Instagram and Facebook page. While you're there, Let me know the favorite story you've heard or the favorite stories of your childhood. Who knows? Maybe you'll hear them here soon. This podcast is made possible by patrons like you. Consider becoming a patron or joining the mailing list or writing a review on Apple Podcasts, which helps other story lovers find and enjoy the show. You will hear more stories next week. But until then, live happily ever after. Mary-Kate opened up the door, and there, on the doorstep, wrapped in his own blanket, was her baby. And to this day, Anansi spins webs so that he can catch the flea, the fly, and the moth that got away. If you go down to the lake on a clear day, when the water lies as calm as a sheet of glass, you can still see the rooftops of the castle glittering in the sunlight. And if you listen really closely, you can even hear the festive music from the royal court.